We're in this series called Proverbs. Uh, it's through Proverbs called Proverbs. And the whole point of it is we want to look back at a life well lived. That one day as we're kind of in, the, uh, in our swan song of our lives, we're going to look back at our life. And it's going to be full of a bunch of emotions. We want to be able to look back at our life and go, man, that was a life well lived. Not perfect by any means, but a life well lived. Not necessarily a life full of accumulation. Not necessarily a life full of applause. Not necessarily a life full of uh, just seeking just pleasure and comfort. But a life well lived. A life where we, we, we try really hard to make a difference. A life where we focus on things that mattered. Where we helped people that were vulnerable. Where we encouraged people that were fearful. Right, where we built something that's going to outlast us. We talk about this all the time, but we want to be part of a bigger story, don't we? Because at the end of our lives, none of us are going to say, you know, what's any, any dying words, any words of wisdom you have for us, grandpa, or whatever, right? And none of us are going to go, get great countertops, right? None of us are going to say that, right? Make sure you get the highest trim level on the car you can afford. No one's going to, are those things bad? No, they're not unimportant. They're just not the most important. But some of us elevate those things to the most important, to the point where they conflict with our obedience to God, right? I, I, I get asked from time to time, you know, like, how much is too much car to have? How much is too much house to have? I'm like, anything that competes with God. Anything that makes you go, man, if I just dis, dis, decrease my obedience to God or whatever he wants me to do, uh, then I could get that thing. Well, then that's competing with God. So anyways, so a life well lived is a life that honors God, that reflects the character of Jesus. It's not about church attendance. It's not about how much you serve. It's not even about how much you give or anything like that. It's, it's that when people would read, uh, read the Bible, especially in the, in the first century, the, the book of Acts, the New Testament, that they would go, oh, I know someone who lives just like that, right? And I think part of the dichotomy, the reason why there's this mass exodus out of church is not because church production levels have gone down. More than ever, church production is at a high point. I think what frustrates people, and if, even for those of us in the room that are believers, for those in the room who are used to be believers, and the reason why we didn't go to church for a while is because we used to go to church, or whatever your story is, I think that the, the hard tension for a lot of people is that we read Scripture and we go, why aren't the Christians that I see acting like that? Right? Because we say, we say all Christians all the time, like, we'll, we'll, we'll try to tell unbelievers or people that don't follow Jesus, you know, why aren't you willing to do what Jesus asked you to do? And I'm like going, hey, let's look, let's look at ourselves, church. Why aren't we willing to do what Jesus is asking us to do? Let's do that first. And then they can just follow. Right? So with that, the whole point of this season, the whole point of this series is not about more information. The whole point of this series is that we would look at a biblical truth, and that we want to challenge you to do this every single Sunday. Whenever you learn a new biblical truth, whether it be here at church, whether it be in your own personal study and prayer times, in your small group, or maybe talking with a friend over coffee about something God is teaching you, it's not about, you know, a say amen to that truth. It's not about, oh, I'm going to write that down. That's not bad. It's not about, I'm going to talk to my friends about that truth. Again, those things aren't bad. The biggest and most important thing we need to do, though, is ask yourself, am I willing to do that? Like, will I actually do that? Because who cares if you say amen? Who cares if you take notes? Who cares if you talk about it in small? You even pray about it. The thing is, will you do it? Will you do it, right? Am I willing to move one step closer to God's way of life? And the early Christians, you may not realize this, uh, for some of you guys, this is, is old news, but you realize that the, the first century church, the Christians were not called Christians. You know that? We see this in the book of Acts. They're, they're actually called followers of the what? Followers of the way. Followers of the way. Not followers of the knowing, not followers of the information. 
Not followers of the attendance, followers of the way. Why? Because the way that they lived was so different from the Roman way of life, from the Greek way of life, even from the Jewish way of life. They were so different that even pop culture said, we need to create a new category for these individuals. They lived, the way they lived their life was different. The first time actually they were called Christians was by uh, people of Antioch and King Agrippa. And they didn't know what they, what they should call these people. And that actually was a derogatory term when they first used the word Christian. And kind of a fun fact, if you add I-A-N in that, in that context, and we had I-A-N, like Christian, to any word, what that actually means in that time was belonging to the party of. Belonging to the party of. And so what they were looking at, these individuals, followers of the way, and they were going, their allegiance isn't to Rome. Their allegiance isn't even to Israel. Their allegiance isn't to one political party within the government system. Their allegiance wasn't to a politician or to any nation. Their allegiance was to this man, Christ. And it's not saying that you, it's bad to be part of a political party, bad to be proud of the nation you're from. It's not that at all. It's just that we have allegiance to a higher kingdom, a different kingdom, right? So they call them Christians. Christians. So with that, before we even hop into the teaching, question I wanted to ask you, and I really want you to think about this is, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Now, if you're here and you're just exploring this whole idea, you know, maybe you lost a bet, so you came to church today, right? But if you, if you call yourself a Christian, by this definition, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of the way of Jesus? When people look at you and go, man, I know that they're th- part of this political party or I know that they, they're proud to be part of being American or whatever country you may be from. But man, even more than that, their allegiance is to Christ. Like, would they say that about you? Because this is what we're about at Voice all the time. People, and throughout the last few years, people have gotten frustrated because how come we don't endorse this candidate or how come we don't talk about the atrocities of that party over there or those people over there? And we just don't go there because Jesus never went there. Our allegiance is, is to Jesus. Right? I'm proud to be an American. My parents came over, uh, both from Korea and Japan, uh, and I'm proud to be born here. Proud to be a Cubs fan, right? Because Jesus was. Everyone knows this, right? So <laughs> this is what we're a part of as Voice Church. As Voice, we are imperfect. So if you're perfect, man, you're in the wrong place. But if you feel like, you, you feel like almost you have imposter syndrome, you feel like you have skeletons in the closet, you feel like you need forgiveness, you need grace, man, you're in the right place. For us, we are the tax collector. Right? We are the tax collector. We're the washed-up fishermen that went back to his parents' work. We are the prostitute, the lame, the outcast. We are the one that just feel like they're just, man, square pegs and round holes. Like we're just, we feel like there's, what is going on? Right? This is us. And then Jesus walks up and says, hey, I forgive you. I know the junk. I know, even more than you do, I know, and I forgive you. I accept you, and I want to help change the world through you. I want to use you to change lives and impact people if you'll follow me. And so we're just a group, of, if you're wondering what voice is all about, we're just a group of people who have said yes. Said yes. We're going, hey, I, me? Like, you're talking to somebody, me? Okay, if you'll, if you'll have me, I'll follow you. But you got to know what you're signing up for. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of junk, right? This is us as voice. And from the top down, this is what we are. So today, we're going to talk about a really weird passage. Uh, it's really weird because when we think about uh, God, we, we think about well, complete sentence. Faith, hope, and love. We think about God is what? Love, right? The greatest of these is love. Jesus said to what? Your neighbor. Love, 
right? We see this all over the place, right? We understand that God is love. God doesn't love as a verb. God literally is synonymous with love, right? This is why you can read 1 Corinthians 13, where the love chapter, we read at every wedding, right? And you can replace love with the word God. God is patient. God is kind. God is, right? So God is love. What we're going to talk about today is a passage in Proverbs that says the seven things God hates. Weird, right? Some of you guys have read this before. Some of you guys have been like, wait, what? There's a lot of weird stuff in the Bible. Just, you know, it's really interesting. Anyway, it's like the Bible is dusty and uninteresting. You're not reading the right parts. Okay, so uh, I can just text me and I can send you some right stuff to read. So so today, if you're taking notes, uh, we're just calling the message separation of church and hate. Separation of church and hate. Like, what is this relationship between the church and hate? So what we're going to do is we're just going to read through uh, this passage, and then we're going to unpack it, and then kind of explain what's the point of this? Like, what is the whole point of this? So uh, we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, verse 16. Uh, you can read along on the screens, or you can read in your own dead tree Bible, or your app, or whatever you use. All right. Uh, verse 16 says this, these are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. So seven things. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, heart that plots to do evil, feet that race to do what is wrong, false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. All right, so I'm going to try to go through these as fast as I can uh, and then kind of sum it up and what's the point? Like, what's the point, right? Because last thing, and we say this all the time around here, we just don't want to give you information. We want to try to bother you. That's our whole goal. We want to bother you. Be like the, the sand in the oyster that is the irritant, right? That hopefully will produce a pearl or will irritate you and you will leave the church. One of the two, right? So, but we'll be a holy irritant that makes you go, I don't know. I don't know, right? Because sometimes the church is here to comfort. But a lot of times what Jesus would preach, uh, people would just leave. I go, I don't want to do that. Like that's, that really gets in the way of my life plan, right? So anyways, first thing, first thing, haughty eyes, haughty eyes. Now, haughty probably isn't a word that you guys use a lot. I've never used haughty. I'm not like, they do that coworker. He's so haughty. Right? So here's what haughty means. Prideful. Prideful. Kind of put someone's looking down their nose at you. Right? So the person that's haughty is you put yourself above others and you look down on them. It's really easy to abuse people. It's really easy to uh, take advantage of people as long as you just devalue them. Right? As long as they are worth less than you because of whatever reason, their lifestyle choices, the color of their skin, uh, where they grew up, what sports team uh, they're a part of, right? Like, I mean, Dodgers fans, come on, man, right? White Sox fans, come on, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Doyers are fine. Uh, actually, actually root for them when the Cubs are out, which has been, you know, now. So uh, anyways, uh, so but, uh, the haughty person, the prideful person thinks this, I deserve more. I can't tell you why. It sounds stupid when I say it out loud, but I deserve more. And these other people, they deserve less, right? They would never say it out loud because it sounds bigoted. But in here, I deserve status. They don't. Actually, if they get status too, it devalues my status, right? Others can suffer, right? As long as I don't have to suffer, right? 
almost to the point where and you're going, well, Taka, I'm not that way. Okay, if you can hear the news and hear about earthquakes, tsunami, working conditions, labor, child, child slavery, human trafficking, whatever, if you can hear about those things and go, oh my gosh, they're taking forever to bring my order out, right? This is haughty eyes. This is saying they're suffering, literally suffering. Yet I go, oh, but this person that I make money that is cooking food for me and bringing it to me and will do the dishes after I leave, they're taking like seven minutes to bring my order? God, why? Right? This is haughty eyes. They can suffer as long as I don't suffer. As long as I can get clothes for a little cheaper, then yeah, work your fingers to the bone. Because as long as I don't, as long as I get what I want, this is prideful. This is haughty eyes. And a lot of times this leads to people that are arrogant and unteachable and rebellious and judgmental. Right? And the whole point of what I want to do as we unpack each of these things is we initially read this list. I read this list. And I go, that's not me. I'm glad I'm not like that. And then when I start to unpack and study, I'm going, I'm all these things. I'm all these things. And so when you understand that, then you understand that you're not a mistaker in need of a teacher. You're a sinner in the need of a savior. Then you, then you understand that he who's been forgiven much loves much. Right? But it has to come from an understanding. What Paul talked about that the law showed me showed me the, kind of the, the, just the wretchedness of who I am. And then all of a sudden, it's easier to give other people grace. Because, man, I need grace, right? So I'm not, I'm not here to try to make you feel bad about yourself, but I do want us to look in the mirror. And some of us need to look in the mirror. I think all of us, hopefully, look in the mirror before you left the house today. And if you had some schmutz on your forehead or something, you wouldn't go, oh, well. If your hair was all kind of crazy, you wouldn't just go, oh, well, right? You would fix it. And so the whole point of what I want us to do today is for us to look in the mirror and go, Anything that needs to be fixed? Anything, needs, anything out of place? Anything that doesn't look like Jesus? Anything getting in the way that when people see you, they don't see Jesus anymore, they just see pride? Arrogance? Right? So, there's a story. I, I contemplate whether to say this or not because I'm like, I don't even know if it's any good. But there's a story about this young woman named Mary who went to her pastor. And she was new to, new to church and she goes, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you. I've been aware of a sin in my life that I can't seem to control. Every time I come to church, she, she was new to church. Every time I come to church, I, I look at all the, the women in the church, the girls in the church. And I just, I'm starting to get a little prideful because I'm obviously the prettiest one of all of them. Right? No one can compare to kind of the way I look. I mean, they're, I'm just in a different league than the pastor. What do I do about this sin of kind of pride in my life? And she goes, and the pastor just takes a moment. He's trying to figure out what to say. And he looks back at her and goes, oh, Mary, that's, um, that's not a sin. Uh, that's a mistake. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so next one. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so the, the problem with pride is, is, is this is the opposite of what Jesus was like, right? So we're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, explaining Jesus. And he says this, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Be humble. Thinking of yourselves or thinking of others as what? Equal to, worse than, they can suffer, I can't? No, no, no. As better than yourselves. Give them the best. Give them the best seat. Give them the, make sure they have more than you. Right? And this is so against pop culture, but this is when you look at this and then overlay this the way that Jesus lived, you're like, oh, this is exactly the way Jesus lived. Right? So 
Be humble. Think of yourselves better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Come on, man. But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude, the same way of living, the same posture, the same approach, the same path as Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. In other words, he didn't use his position or his power or his title to demean other people, to control other people, right? To use other people. So uh, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Come on, how many times do we not only not seek position and power, applause, we're willing to give that up for somebody else? How many times have we seen people in power do that? Like never times, right? What if the Christian leaders, everyone that called themselves a Christ follower, did what Jesus did? And they used their power and their prestige and their platform to actually help people. I think that's why we love those, like, feel-good Instagram reels. Or we love, like, what's that guy, Mr. Beast? Or we love people like this that go, they are actually using their platform to help people, right? And it seems so out of the ordinary, but it shouldn't be. This should be what Christians are known for. If we, if we were to have a man-on-the-street video and go out there and ask people, man, what are, what are some adjectives to describe Christ followers? What are some adjectives to describe Christians? Would we get humble? Would we get, man, all I know is I don't agree with what they say. I don't agree with what they do. I don't, I don't agree with their beliefs, their core values. But every time they get power, every time they get money, every time they get a platform, they just give it up and use it for other people to help the vulnerable and the helpless. Why can't that be our story? Anyways, continue. We're never going to leave. It said when um, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. See, we serve a God who gave up his rights, who gave up his power, gave up his platform to serve those that were far beneath him. Far beneath him. He used his power to elevate people. Right? If you find yourself with any sort of position or power, use it. Use it. Not for you but for others, right? Nearly every time the Bible talks about pride, it's linked with failure, not success. And this is a very different path than a lot of times what we're taught by pop culture. So think about the most, um, some of the most important voices in your life, the people you look up to the most, the people that have had the most impact in your life. Are they prideful? Are they arrogant? Right? Think about the coach, the teacher, the pastor, the friend that's invested into you, that's poured into you, that taught you, that's made you in many ways who you are today. Were they prideful? Did they use their position to lord it over you? Right? No, we're not drawn to people like that. So just remember this one thing, pride pushes away. Pride pushes away. If you want to push people away, awesome, be prideful. You'll push people away. But if you want to draw people close, don't live that way. Oh, that rhymes. That could be Dr. Seuss. All right, first, second thing. Second thing, lying tongue. Lying tongue. It's pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Uh, we tend to have a lot of levels of lies, don't we? So there's like, a, like serious deception, and then there's like all these levels, and there's like a white lie, right? And then there's like a fib. It's not really a lie. It's a fib, right? And a lot of times, we, the way we, we oh, there you go, uh, the way we uh, judge whether it's a, it's a white lie or a fib or a serious deception or whatever is whether it's me or not. If I did it, come on, man, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal. It's just like, okay, I, fi- I exaggerated, all right? I fibbed a little bit. It wasn't a big deal. If it's somebody else, if it's somebody else telling, telling you a lie, 
They should know better. They broke my trust. They said this and it wasn't true, right? Because we know this to be true. Lies, lies break trust, don't they? Lies break trust. Lies break relationships. Some of you guys, even as I say this, you have a fractured relationship, right? And maybe it's on the mend, but my guess is there was some deception. There were some lies. There was some hiding, right? Some half-truths, untruths, layers of truth. They, they told you a truth, but it wasn't the full truth. They told you just enough. Or maybe you did that, and it broke the relationship. You're kind of feeling the mess of it right now, right? Maybe it actually took down the church you were a part of or the small group or the organization or the business or whatever, right? Why? Because lies break trust. Third thing, hands that kill the innocent. You may look at this and go, I haven't killed anybody. I'm good on this one, right? Okay. Um, I read this. I was like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. As far as I know, I have not killed anybody, right? Then let's read 1 John 3.15. 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. Son of a gun, really? Everyone that hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And I read like 20-some different translations of this verse going, come on, I got to find one that says something different. They don't. They all say pretty much the exact same thing. Okay. You ever hate anybody? You ever hate anybody? In this season... You may look at me and go, yeah, but Taka, come on, I, I saw this, I saw the person on TV, and do you see what they said? Come on, man, they're making us Christians look stupid. Do you see what they did? Do you know what that person did? Do you know what that person said to me? Do you know the mess they made for me? They should have known better. And look, I'm not, I'm not dismissing what they did. I'm not dismissing what they said. I'm not dismissing any hurt that they may have caused in your life. But here's what I'm saying. I'm glad God didn't judge you by that standard right? All I'm saying is, I'm really glad God didn't judge me to that standard. See, we tend to judge people by their actions, don't we? We judge people by their actions. But you know what? For us, we want to be judged by our intentions. Well, if you just knew my heart, if you knew why I did that, right? But we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. And what's why that's so important is that God sees everything that you've ever done. God sees everything that you'll ever do. And you know what? He loves you. If there ever was someone at a totally different world than us, at a totally different level than us, that should be able to hate you, it should be God. And he says, I love you. I'm willing to give up everything for you. I'm willing to take up pain for you. I'm willing to die for you so that you can have relationship." So to tell you the best days are ahead, he says he'll stick closer than a brother. You know, it's wild. Even Judas, who was, um, you know, betrayed Jesus and all that, he still washed Judas' feet, knowing full well what he was about to do. He still had a meal with him, knowing full well what he was about to do. And if Judas didn't off himself, if he would have come back to Jesus, I am 1,000% sure. That's not a a real math term, but I'm 1,000% sure that Jesus would have forgiven him right? So are you willing to live the way of Jesus? Are you? Are you? Now, am I saying do we need to hang with everyone that's hurt us? No, there's boundaries, and that's a whole other thing. But Jesus talked about this idea called the golden rule, right? We we call it the golden, I don't think he called it the golden rule. We do, right? Which is do unto others as, what? 
you have them do unto you. You, right. So do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Now, uh, Pastor Andy Stanley down in Atlanta, he, he, has, he, he says that the next thing Jesus says is the platinum rule. Like he leveled it up. So we have the golden rule, do unto others, you would have them do unto you. And then in John chapter 15, Jesus gets his disciples together and he gives them a different rule. Now, they've been living together for a while at this point, doing ministry together. And then he says this, this is my commandment, verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way, what, that you, des- you think they deserve? Love each other by what people post on social media. Love each other whether you're ticked off or not, whether you've had enough sleep, whether you're angry, had a rough week, right? No. Not even love each other the way you want to be loved. Not love each other the way they deserve to be loved. He goes, love each other the way I have loved you. In other words, live the way of Jesus, right? And the, f- the funny thing is, they didn't even fully understand what that meant. Jesus, between the lines, is saying, and you're going to get a real clear picture of what this looks like in the upcoming weeks. You don't even fully get it right now, but you're going to get it later. And you're going to see what this means. And you're going to see really how much I believe this. And he goes on, he says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So, are you following the way of Jesus? Do you do this? Fourth one, a heart that plots to do evil, a heart that plots to do evil. We did a whole series on the heart. We called it, it came from within. And the whole idea was that all the stuff that we blame people, we blame situations, if they would jest, if they would, didn't do this, if they, that's why I acted the way I acted. No, 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 you acted the way you acted because that's in your heart. That's in there. It wasn't because you were tired, you didn't get enough sleep. That was in there. There's not filters anymore. So we saw, we all saw a clear picture of what's in your heart, the jealousy, the anger, the envy, right? We saw that. Everything starts with the heart. So Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says this, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murderers and, uh, murders and adulteries and fornications, thefts, fault with false witnesses and blasphemy. In other words, Jesus is saying it all comes from in here. It's never out there. And the key verse we talked about during that series was Proverbs 4.23, that above all else, guard your heart. Before you focus on anything else, the most important thing you should focus on is your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Everything, not most things or some things, literally everything you do flows from your heart. So how's your heart? How's your heart? We talked again about the inner life a couple weeks ago, and we talked about the fact that the life you have is a reflection of the thoughts you think. What you allow to take residence up in your heart, the life you have is a result, as a reflection of the thoughts you think. We talked about the fact that if you don't control what you think, you'll never be able to control what you do. If you don't control what you think, you'll never be able to control what you do. So guard your heart, your heart. Fifth one, feet that race to do what's wrong. Feet that race to do what is wrong. And let me reframe this for you so maybe, because you're, you're going, I don't race to do what's wrong. I'm not out, on the, out at Trader Joe's going, I'm going to go run and punch that guy for no reason. Like, I'm good on this one, right, Taka? Okay, let me reframe this. The enthusiastic and complete involvement in things that dishonor God. The enthusiastic complete involvement in the things that honor God. And we dismiss this one many times because we haven't done anything crazy, right? At least by our standards. But maybe there's some things that you've done. Let me list a few. Gossip, 
Does that honor or dishonor God, right? Gossip? And maybe you're, you're a seasoned church person, so you don't just straight up gossip because you know better than that, right? You wouldn't go, did you hear what I heard about so-and-so? You wouldn't say that. You know what we do? We pull people aside and go, hey, can you just keep someone in prayer? Right? I don't know if you've heard, but uh, be praying. Uh, but man, their marriage stinks. I, I heard this, this. Just pray for them. Pray for them. Right? You know, pray for Pastor Joe, worship leader. Um, pray for him because he's smoking a lot of pot. Lots of pot. Right? Pray for him. I, I, no, don't, don't tell anybody. Just pray. Just pray. Unless you're asking them to pray too. Gossip. Right? Maybe another thing. You, you put yourself first instead of others. Right? You cut to the front of the line. You make sure you got the best spot. Maybe you put yourself first in your finances instead of putting God first. Maybe you ignore someone's needs. When you hear someone message you, hey, so-and-so needs help. Can you help? And you know you can help. You're in a position to help. But you're like, oh, I'm going to ignore that text. Right? I'm just gonna, especially if it's a group text and it's really easy to ignore it. Right? Because you can just go, oh. Right? So you could help, but you don't. And you feel it. You feel the Holy Spirit going, you should do something. You don't have to do everything, but you can do something. You're like, mm, I don't want to. I want to eat out somewhere nice this weekend, right? Like, so maybe uh, it's refusing to forgive someone because they don't deserve it. And you may be right, and neither do you. Right? So what is it? It could be a lot of other things. But when we have a well-worn path because we race to do things that dishonor God, we walk that path all the time, walk the path of selfishness or materialism or unforgiveness or pride or anger, and we walk that path, or it's well-worn. But then there's a way of Jesus. This path over here has a lot of grass growing on it, right? Because we don't race down that path often. Okay, sixth one. False witness who pours out lies. False witness who pours out lies. This is a little different than lying. I thought this was lying again. Like, we got that one. Why are you bringing it up again? This is different. This is a false witness. This is when you can defend someone's character, but you choose not to. You could defend someone, put your neck on line for them, but you choose not to. Or maybe you're complicit in the gossip to assassinate the character. And this may look a little different, right? Especially in the day of social media. Maybe you see a new BuzzFeed article. You're going, oh, what? They did what? We're going to cancel who now? Let's do that. I hate that, right? Well, you haven't done any research. You haven't prayed about it. You just, you don't even know anything about it, but my friend said it. This really weird blog said it. And so I'm going to support that. I'm going to add energy to this snowball, Right? Maybe you're too quick to believe every headline and every movement to cancel somebody without researching, without praying, without seeing if it's legit first. False witness, false witness. Last one, last one. A person who sows discord in a family. A person who sows discord in a family plants seeds of discord. When we uh, got our house, <laughs> the, when we first looked at it, uh, the, the sidewalk was like a ramp uh, in front of the house. Like, it was like this, right? It was like a motocross track. And it would, honestly, like, like the eight-year-old version of me would have loved this, right? It's like, 
concrete ramps in my front yard? Awesome, right? Uh, except that's not what I want, right? I'm just waiting for like the elderly person that's a trip and like holding their hip on my front yard, right? So what, what had happened was they planted these trees that are so cool. They're the ones that turn blue, the jacarandas, right? Super cool um, from a distance as long as they're not dropping stuff on your car, but super cool. But what happened was the roots grew. Little seeds, a long time ago, little seedlings grew, and they tore up the sidewalk. The house we rented uh, before that, uh, thankfully I was a tenant, so I was like, hey, landlord, you got to fix some stuff, right? We started, we'd, every time we flushed the toilet, water would come from the walls, right? Not great, because that's not the water. If I had any water pouring in from the walls, that's not the water I would want pouring in, right? So there was roots that had broken up the sewage, again, planted this beautiful tree in the front yard, that had broken up, so everything was kind of messed up. Start small. Just like seeds of discord, right? Some of us are sowing seeds. We're sowing seeds of discord. And then we're going, why is there all this dysfunction? Why is there all this tension? Why is there all this drama? It's like if I started planting oak tree seeds in my front yard, and then 10 years later, I'm going, why, why is everything, why is my foundation messed up? Because they grow. They grow. A lot of times when people that struggle with this, sowing seeds of discord, and you confront them and say, hey, you probably shouldn't say that. That's, that's, that's division. A lot of times the response they'll give is, I'm just saying. If you catch yourself saying that, this, this is one I struggle with. I'm just saying. Okay, come on, man. Do they deserve it? Sure. Sure, yeah, maybe, probably, right? But are you sowing discord? God hates it, man. God hates it. This is the whole point. What we just run through is what's called a 6-7 pattern. It's a 6-7 pattern. There are six things the Lord, debate, the, 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 the Lord hates. Oh, no, 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 seven that he detests, right? We see this again in, in like uh, Job 5.19. We see it throughout the wisdom writings, but Job 5.19, it says this, from six disasters he will rescue. Oh, no, even in the seventh, he will keep you from evil. We see it, we see it again in Proverbs 30, 15 and 16, 18 and 19, 21, 31, and other places. It's known as an X plus one pattern. X plus one pattern. And these are not meant to be like an exhaustive list. This is not meant to be like, and this year, all the things the Lord hates. What it's meant, is meant to stress the final point. Saying, hey, all these things, the point is the last one. And many times, though all the points before culminate to the final point. So, what's the last point? A person who sows discord in a family. That's the thing God really hates. God wants us to live as a family. All these things are not things that are in Proverbs because it'll make your life better if you don't do it. Don't murder people. It'll make your life better. Don't gospel, make your life better. That's not the point. Does it make your life better? Objectively, yes. But that's not what the writer is saying here. The writer is saying it's not about you. That's the whole point. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's been about us. It's about this. It's about family. Jesus called God the what? Father. He's setting something up here. Jesus calls us what? Brothers and sisters co-heirs, family. When he tells stories about what is God like, he tells stories about the, 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 the father who has two sons. 
family, right? Yes, he kneels together. This is family. Why? Because we best reflect the image of God when we care about one another, when we serve one another, when we support one another, when we put one another above yourselves. These are all things that any parent would go, these are things I teach my kids all the time. Put one another above yourselves. Quit looking for your own way. Humble yourself. You're cocky. Quit talking about them behind their back. You know what? Every parent is like trying to hit their kid in the back seat. Glad Joe wasn't there. Hitting their kid in the back seat trying to tell them these things, right? These are family rules. This is why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. You may be going, Trinity, what does that have to do with, with this? I think last verse we're going to look at. In Genesis chapter 1, it says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Interesting, right? It doesn't say, let me make human beings in my image to be like me. Whatever translation you're using, it's always the plural. Let us make God in our image to be like us. From the very beginning, God has been in community. From the very beginning, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, distinct, three, yet one. Different, but unified. And every metaphor we use of like, it's different parts of an egg, or it's like H2O, it's, it, they all fall apart. It's a mystery. But all we know is this, distinct, three, yet one. Distinct, yet one. So, we are in his image. We're not meant to be alone. We're meant to serve one another. We're meant to support one another, be known, be fully seen, loved, and accepted. And God hates these things, all the stuff that we went through. Why? Because it fractures what he loves most. God hates these things because it destroys the family unit. Billy Graham, you may have heard of him. <laughs> he said, he's, when, he, when he talked about this passage, he says this, he says that God hates these things for the same reason the dad hates the rattlesnake that threatens the safety of his child. For the same reason the mom who hates the poisonous spider crawling on her baby's arm. Because, he, because it is threatening the thing they love most. Right? So, question. Are your actions, like honestly, 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 are your actions creating unity or division? Yeah, but you know what they said? Are your actions... Yeah, but Doc, if, you just, if I can just give context. No, no. Are your actions creating unity or division? Where have you caused division that you need to repent and work to unify? In your family? In your marriage? With your kids? With your parents? Maybe with your neighbors, maybe you got those neighbors, or maybe you're that neighbor, right? They're there, and they may be you. But there's been division, there's tension, and you need to work to unify. Can you go buy them a cake, something? Maybe, can I be honest? Maybe it's the church you went to before this church. Yeah, but talk, if you just knew what they'd, sure. Do you need to create unity where you cause division? Do you need to make it right? Because ultimately, that's how we're going to end. I think what the writer is saying is, in the past, our eyes used to be haughty. But we can use our eyes now to look for ways we can support and build others up. In the past, we used to, the tongue to lie to each other. Now we can use it to encourage one another. In the past, we used our hands to shed innocent blood. Now we can use them to serve the Lord. In the past, we exposed the heart to every kind of evil. 
now that Christ has given us a new heart, we guard it closely. In the past, we used our feet to rush into evil. Now we can use them to rush to the help of everyone we can. In the past, we used to spread false testimonies, and now we defend the attacked as Christ has defended us. In the past, we stirred up dissension among our brothers. Now we promote unity. And that is the faith community. This is the family of God I think God loves. And this is what we're called to create. You're not called to just attend a service for an hour and a half. You're called to create this everywhere you go. These are the values of heaven. These are the values of the kingdom of God. And wherever you go is an outpost of the kingdom of God. So wherever you walk, this as an ambassador of the gospel, this is what you create in your workplace, in your sports team, in your HOA meeting, in your house, everything. This should look like this because wherever you go, you are bringing the way of Jesus with you. So that when that person that's far from faith reads the Bible, they can go, I know someone just like that. And I want what they have. I want to know God. I, don't, I think what they believe is crazy. A guy raised from the dead, that's crazy. But man, I can't shake the fact of how they live is so different. So different. They should be ticked, but they forgive. Everyone controls people below them. They love them and support them. Something inside me wants to be like that. So, with that, let me pray, and then we'll sing this one last song together. All right, God, we just thank you. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us, uh, even though you know us really well. God, if there's anyone in the room who is dealing with any sort of guilt or condemnation or shame, God, we, we confess that that's not from you. God, would you draw them to you? If anyone is not in a relationship with you, God, would you draw them to the goodness of you, God? Would they make a decision to follow you fully? God, I pray, ultimately, would you use us as a church family to represent you well? God, I pray that by the, what we post on social media, the way we act, that people would see you and your character clearly, God. We love you, God. We're not here to build up a church. We're here to build your kingdom. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. What a powerful, powerful message today. And I know that some of that is hard to listen to, right? None of us are, like, comfortable when we're sitting there talking about some of that stuff that's, like, deep inside that none of us like to admit that sometimes we feel or we do. But I think so important to remember that this isn't a moment to feel shame. This isn't a moment to go, I'm such a bad person, or no one, no one wants you to feel that way when you leave. We just want you to go. I love the analogy where um, Taka said, we, we don't look in the mirror and see our hair all crazy and then just go, eh, and walk away, right? We see it and we go, that's not who I want to be. Fix it, right? Let's fix it. 